Life Audio. You are listening to Hope for Women with Father Wounds, Episode 20, Exchanging Father Wounds for God's Love with Karen Eman. I am your host, Kia Stevens. This podcast is for women who have experienced pain in their father-daughter relationship as a result of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration, addiction, or a physically present but emotionally absent father. The aim of this podcast is to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now today, I'm talking with Proverbs 31 ministry speaker and New York Times bestselling author, Karen Eman, and I assure you, you do not want to miss this conversation. So let's go ahead and dive in. Before we get started, some of you may not be familiar with my guest today, so I want to take the time to just give you a snippet about who she is, and I'm sure after we finish, you're going to run out to Barnes & Nobles or hop onto Amazon and, and grab a couple of her books. Uh, her name is Karen Eman, and she is a New York Times best-selling author of 17 books. I did not make a mistake, 17 books, including the 2020 ECPA Devotional of the Year, Settle My Soul. She's married to her college sweetheart and the mom of five, which I think is even more impressive than the 17 books. Um, And she resides in mid-Michigan. Karen, it's so great to have you. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Kia. It's a pleasure. Uh, And I am so honored to have you here to talk with us about your relationship with your father, which I discovered when I was trying to prepare for um, our interview that you haven't talked about this relationship anywhere. So I feel so, so humbled um, that you decided to talk about it here. And I do want to say that um, the way this interview came about uh, is so crazy, but um, uh, think of maybe five years ago, five, five or six years, whenever you keynoted at She Speaks, I remember you were promoting Keep Keep It Shut. Is that the correct title? Keep It, it Shut? It is. It is. And in your keynote, you talked about your father and alcoholism and your voice quivered. And I was sitting there. I, I was so brand new, brand spanking new. I always had a desire to write a book, but I um, was working on this blog, the Father Swap blog. And so I just pulled out the little file in my brain and dropped that nugget in there and closed the file and then went on about my business. And then several years later, <laughs> I email you out of nowhere and say, Karen, you talked about this six years ago. <laughs> Can I interview you? And you graciously said yes. And so here you are. Um, I'd love for you to just get us started. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, about your childhood? Was it happy? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> it was It was happy up until about the second grade. I don't remember a ton about my life before the second grade, just that we moved right before I was in kindergarten. My parents built a home and we moved to a new part of the city. And I remember a little bit about, you know, first starting kindergarten and first grade, but in second grade is when the memories start to become vivid because in second grade, 
I remember getting up in the morning, one Saturday morning and going out to the dining room to get breakfast. My mom always had breakfast ready for us. And my mom was sitting in a chair crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, your dad has left. And as a second grader, I didn't really know what that meant. What do you mean? He left to go to the store. <laughs> I don't, why are you crying about it? And from second grade until fifth grade, my father moved in and out of our house about eight times. He would leave and go get an apartment. And then he and my mom would decide that they were going to work things out and he'd move back in. And it went on and on and on and on back and forth until I was in the fifth grade. And then they finally got a divorce and my dad moved out permanently. And it was a few years later that I realized it was because my dad was having multiple affairs. Um, he also was abusing alcohol, which he kind of hid from us when he lived at home. But once he moved out, it became more evident and he would often come over when he was drunk and abuse my mom verbally and physically and a couple of times physically abused my brother and myself. But uh, when he wasn't drinking, he was wonderful. He's the most outgoing and fun personality and everybody loved him. It was almost like he had a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing going on. But my mom made our home as as happy and welcoming and stable as she could as a single mom. So I do feel like I in ways had a happy childhood, but it was interrupted by these periods of violence and terror, and then it would go away. Oh, wow, Karen, that's so much. You just said, do you remember as a child saying to yourself, um, and, and I'm asking this just from my own vantage point of not knowing what the quote unquote normalcy is or was, you know, um, until I began to engage with other people and find out like, oh, well, the way that I grew up was a little bit different, a little bit dysfunctional. Um, do you remember as a child thinking this is not okay? My other friends are not experiencing this or do you remember that? I do remember there was only one other girl in my classroom who had parents that were divorced. So I very much felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I also remember that my mom, she was a very, very private person. And she always said, I don't like other people knowing our problems. So she wouldn't let me talk to anybody about it. I couldn't talk to my school counselor. When I was older and in high school, I wanted to talk to the youth pastor's wife and she found out that I did and she got really mad. She just really wanted to keep things on the down low. In fact, when their divorce was final, when I was in the fifth grade and in you know, been going on back and forth for about three years with his affairs and his drinking, they had to put a notice in the newspaper. And it was then that the woman that she worked with, my mom and this other woman, they were our lunch ladies at my elementary school. This woman was her best friend and she didn't even know my mom was having trouble. She said, I saw in the paper that you and Pat got divorced. I didn't even know you were having trouble. Her own sister, my aunt didn't know until it was a done deal. I think my mom really, really wanted to keep it hidden in hopes that he would stop having affairs, stop drinking and stay with our family. And then nobody would ever know. And so she wouldn't let the truth come out until it was a done deal and they were legally divorced. So for a long time, I did feel like nobody else was in my situation because I only knew one other person whose parents were not still together. And I wasn't really close with that person. I just knew they were in my classroom. And so I, I really felt like an oddball, but I felt like I had nowhere to go because I couldn't talk about it to anybody. Yeah. Wow. And that is so telling of the time. I cannot imagine having to publicize a divorce in the newspaper. That's a whole lot. 
um, for not just for your mom, but for her kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have to deal with that in, in, in the community. So you talk about your father being kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Um, what were some of your fondest memories uh, about your father? He was very outgoing. He was very fun. He was very encouraging. Like he was the one that would always be verbally encouraging and say, oh, you look so pretty in that dress or, oh, you did such a good job when you were, you know, doing your cheerleading because he would come and watch my games. And so I also remember that he was very caring and that he would give little gifts. Like I remember one time I had sunstroke. I'd been out in the sun way too long and I got very sick. I fell asleep on our front porch and my mom thought I was in the house sleeping. and I was actually in the bright sunshine and I got very sick. And my dad, who didn't live with us at the time, this was during that back and forth years, he brought me over a bag of bulk Brock's candy that he'd picked out from the grocery store. And I just remember thinking that was so sweet. And to this day, I still love it was that the ones that are little squares and are layers of different colored coconut, like pink and white and brown. I still love those to this day. And I just remember him both using his words and gifts to be very encouraging when he wasn't drinking. Mm-hmm. That's a sweet memory, Karen. Now, did did the other side of your father, did it break your heart seeing him in those ways? It did. And it made me just have a fear of white station wagons because he drove a white station wagon. And if I saw a white station wagon coming down our road, I never knew if it was going to be him showing up in a good mood to bring me a little something or if it was going to be him showing up and he'd been drinking. And now my mom was going to lock herself in the bathroom so that he couldn't hit her. And I was going to stand in between them and um, witness the violence. I just never knew which dad was going to show up. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. How did this kind of tumultuous experience with your father impact your development? I feel like it made me have a lot of real surface friendships. I had a lot of friends, but very few that I was really deep with, that I really told the truth about what was going on in my home or just in my own heart, you know, what was going on because I just learned, you don't tell other people your problems, you know, you know, it's none of their business. And so I had a lot of friends, but it was just very surface level. So I think that impacted me that way. I think spiritually, it was hard for me to see God as a father. And the first time I heard about God being a father to the fatherless and uh, loving and caring, I remember thinking, this is so confusing because when I think of father, I don't necessarily think of loving and caring. But when I heard that phrase that he's a father to the fatherless, that's what really drew me in. And then I think too, just like relationally, I know oftentimes that they say that women who've grown up with an abusive father 
or a dominant and controlling father are really destined to marry someone just like them. And I had that pointed out to me by my youth pastor's wife when I was in high school. So I, on purpose, looked for someone with the complete opposite personality of my dad. And I married someone who is not at all like my father. He's completely opposite. So in a way, that ended up being good. But if I had not been alerted to that tendency in women, I think I, I I look back now at some guys I did date and I think, oh, they were just like my dad. And they probably would have ended up um, in a situation where I was at least emotionally, if not verbally and physically abused. So I'm glad that I didn't go down that path. Yeah. When you say dated guys just like your dad, you mean personality-wise or you mean like they were displaying tendencies of abusive, uh, abusive tendencies early on? Well, I think the couple I'm thinking of, they abused alcohol and they had personalities that were outgoing, but they could also be very explosive. So I think kind of the combination was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, how the sovereignty of God that that they were able to point that out to you and that you were able to listen. But I guess you had had such a distaste for what you experienced growing up that you wanted to go as far away from that as possible. Exactly. So I want to talk about forgiveness of your father, because I know that had to happen. Um, But I also want to kind of talk about, were you able to see your father? This is something that happened for me in my I guess it happened in my 30s, 30s, 40s. I'm in my 40s, um, just just the beginning of my 40s. But um, were you able to begin to see your father as a human being to separate him from his parental role and to say he's a human being? He's he's flawed, just like me. Were you able to do that later on in life? Yes, I was. The more I grew in my walk with the Lord, the more I realized, you know, that my father wasn't this awful human being and I was a much better human being. I realized that we're all flawed. We all have sins and sin just means missing the mark, whether you miss it by an inch or you miss it by a mile. And so I think I became less hard on him because I started to see my own shortcomings. Mm -hmm. How did you get there? How did, I mean, that certainly was a process and I'm saying it just with the understanding that someone's probably listening And when they see their father, they're probably like, you know, this is just completely unacceptable. I I can't separate his role and what he should have been doing from what he did. Um, How could how can you how did you get there or how could you offer some some suggestions or guidance for someone else? I think the more I came to view God as my heavenly and perfect father, the less expectations I had on my earthly one, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I knew my father would never win father of the year. He wasn't a, a, well, there were times he was a good father when he wasn't drinking, but overall, when you take the whole package, he wasn't a good father. I mean, good fathers don't abuse alcohol. They don't verbally and emotionally abuse you. They don't hit people. They don't make you feel terrorized. You know, he used to withhold child support and then we didn't have lunch money. There are a lot of things he did that were awful, but the more I realized no father on earth was perfect, even though my dad kind of seemed like he ranked among the the bottom. I realized there's not a single father on earth that's perfect. Only my heavenly father is perfect. And so I needed to go to him for the things I wasn't getting from my dad, like love and acceptance and knowing that I'm wanted and I'm chosen and I'm loved. And it doesn't 
you know, matter my performance. Because I think with my dad, I tried to be perfect. Like, oh, I'll get good grades and then he'll come home. Oh, I'll never get in trouble and then he'll come home. Oh, I'll never talk back and then he'll come home. And I was trying to earn his love. But the more I realized I already had a perfect father that loved me and I didn't need to do anything to earn his love, I think the, the better it got. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I hope you don't feel like I'm throwing curveballs at you, Karen, because as I'm talking to you, more thoughts are coming to my head. But I'm just thinking of also about this this process of grief um, when you do that, because as you are accepting, accepting God, God's love for you and God's affirmation and God and who God says you are, there's also a bit of a grieving of of, of what you're your father didn't say or didn't do. Um, did you, what did grief look like in your life? I honestly think I didn't deal with grief until much later. I think I just kind of numbed any pain and grief I was feeling by filling my time with activities and pursuing things where I would get recognition and I would get accolades and rewards and certificates and whatever. I mean, I was involved in so many extracurricular activities and sports and things at church and in the community that I just kept so busy that it kind of numbed any pain I was feeling. And it pushed off the grief until much later when I dealt with it, you know, just really in the last probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's common uh, um, that women whose fathers weren't, weren't there, we might overachieve or over excel or get caught up in the performance trap just to secure the validation that we didn't receive from our fathers. Um, um, so, but yeah, uh, I can relate, relate, relate to all that you are saying. Uh, and then as you, another challenge as you are forgiving and processing is now, how do I continue to engage in a relationship with this person or, or what does that look like? As you get older, you start to see what's healthy, what's not healthy with laser sharp vision. Sometimes, sometimes, um, you know, if you're getting counseling, if you're in your word, uh, how do you, how, how did you uh, establish healthy boundaries or did you choose to not stay in the, in your father's life? No, I did stay in his life. The more I I became uh, a student of the word, the more I saw that God had forgiven me much and I needed to forgive others. And so early in my 20s, I forgave my father long before he ever asked for my forgiveness. He didn't really ask for my forgiveness until I was in my mid-30s, actually, yeah, mid to late 30s. He wrote a letter to my mom, my brother, and myself, identical letters um, asking us to forgive him for what he'd done. And uh, he actually wrote letters to a lot of people. He thought back to everybody he'd ever wronged or cheated in business, cheated out of money, any man whose wife he ever ran around with. And he wrote letters to all of them and asked for forgiveness. But I, prior to that, when I was in my early twenties, I just really felt like I needed to forgive my dad, even if he didn't ask me. So I remember just reaching out to him very lovingly, sending him letters. I actually worked for him at the time. I was a waitress in the restaurant he owned. And often I would find him in his office in the back of the restaurant, slumped over a desk with a cigarette burning a hole in the desk in his hand and a drink in the other hand. And I would put out the cigarette and I'd throw out his drink and I'd leave him a little note that I love you, dad. And slowly our relationship got better. Um, But it still wasn't until a long time after that, actually, when I was married and had three kids that he formally asked for my forgiveness, but I treated him like he was father of the year, even though he wasn't. And slowly our relationship got better. 
That's so beautiful. And what I love about it is you did something so simple. It wasn't a, a, a major act, but writing him a note and leaving it was something you could do, tossing out the alcohol and putting away the cigarette. You know, and I think sometimes when people think about engaging with their father, they think it has to be your buddy, buddy or your, you know, but sometimes it's a simple act. It's a phone call. It's a letter. It's a, um, you know, a meeting at a restaurant or, or something that you can do that is a sacrifice, but not it may not be overly challenging it might just be one small act over time repeated you've been listening to the hope for women with father wounds podcast episode 20 exchanging father wounds for god's love with karen eman I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you and I want you to know whether your dad is deceased, absent, divorced, unavailable, incarcerated, or you don't know who he is, sis, there is hope for you. Hope to be healed. Hope to be secure. Hope to be free. Completely free. Hope to be satisfied with the love of God. Yes, there is hope for women with father wounds. This was episode 20 of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast. I am your host, Kia Stevens. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend. Rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Be sure and check out the links associated with this podcast so you can access several free resources for you. Also, I'm excited to announce that I will be publishing my first book for women with father wounds on March 7th, 2023. So be sure and subscribe to my blog at www.kiastevens.com so you won't miss any updates. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I hope you will join me for part two of this conversation with Karen Eman, Exchanging Father Wounds for God's love. Hope for Women with Father Wounds is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so that more listeners can find us. You can learn more about Kia Stevens and her ministry, The Father Swap, by visiting kiastevens.com and fatherswap.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Gibbons, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. 
and even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.